0: The Closed Window by A. C. Benson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rafe Ball. The Closed Window by A. C. Benson. The Tower of Naught stood in a deep angle of the downs. Formerly, an old road led over the hill. But it is now a green track covered with turf, the later highway choosing rather to cross a low saddle of the ridge for the sake of the beasts of burden. The tower, originally built to guard the great road, was a plain, strong, thick-walled fortress. To the tower had been added a plain and seemly house, where the young Sir Marc de Nort lived very easily and plentifully. To the south stretched the great wood of Nort but the tower stood high on an elbow of the down sheltered from the north by the great green hills the villagers had an odd ugly name for the tower which they called the tower of fear but the name was falling into disuse and was only spoken and that heedlessly by ancient men because sir mark was vexed to hear it so called sir mark was not yet thirty and had begun to say that he must marry a wife but he seemed in no great haste to do so and loved his easy lonely life with plenty of hunting and hawking on the down with him lived his cousin and heir roland Elise, a heedless good-tempered man a few years older than sir mark he had come on a visit to sir mark when he first took possession of the tower and there had seemed no reason why he should go away the two suited each other sir mark was sparing of speech fond of books and of rhymes roland was different loving ease and wine and talk and finding in mark a good listener mark loved his cousin and thought it praiseworthy of him to stay and help to cheer so sequestered a house since there were few neighbours within reach and yet mark was not wholly content with his easy life there were many days when he asked himself why he should go thus quietly on day by day like a stalled ox Still, there appeared no reason why he should do otherwise. There were but few folk on his land, and they were content. Yet he sometimes envied them their bondage, and their round of daily duties. The only place where he could else have been was with the army, or even with the court. But Sir Mark was no soldier, and even less of a courtier. He hated tedious gaiety, and it was a time of peace. So because he loved solitude and quiet, HE LIVED AT HOME, AND SOMETIMES THOUGHT HIMSELF BUT HALF A MAN. YET HE WAS HAPPY AFTER A SORT, BUT FOR A KIND OF LITTLE HUNGER OF THE HEART. WHAT GAVE THE TOWER SO DARK A NAME WAS THE MEMORY OF OLD SIR JAMES DE Nort, MARK'S GRANDFATHER, AN EVIL AND SECRET MAN, WHO HAD DWELT AT Nort UNDER SOME STRANGE SHADOW. HE HAD DRIVEN HIS SON FROM HIS DOORS, AND LIVED AT THE END OF HIS LIFE WITH HIS BOOKS, AND HIS OWN CLOSE THOUGHTS spying upon the stars, and tracing strange figures in books. Since his death, the old room in a turret-top, where he came by his end in a dreadful way, had been closed. It was entered by a turret-door, with a flight of steps from the chamber below. It had four windows, one to each of the winds, but the window which looked upon the down was fastened up and secured with a great shutter of oak. One day of heavy rain, Roland, being wearied of doing nothing and vexed because Mark sat so still in a great chair, reading in a book, said to his cousin at last that he must go and visit the old room in which he had never set foot. Mark closed his book and, smiling indulgently at Roland's restlessness, rose, stretching himself and got the key, and together they went up the turret stairs. The key groaned loudly in the lock, and, when the door was thrown back, there appeared a high, faded room with a timbered roof and with a close, dull smell. Round the walls were presses, with the doors fast, a large oak table, with a chair beside it, stood in the middle. The walls were otherwise bare and rough. The spiders had spun busily over the windows and in the angles. Roland was full of questions and Mark told him all he had heard of old Sir James and his silent ways, but said that he knew nothing of the disgrace that had seemed to envelop him, or of the reasons why he had so evil a name. Roland said that he thought it a shame that so fair a room should lie so nastily, and pulled one of the casements open, when a sharp gust broke into the room, with so angry a burst of rain, that he closed it again in haste. Little by little, as they talked, A shadow began to fall upon their spirits till roland declared that there was still a blight upon the place and mark told him of the death of old sir james who had been found after a day of silence when he had not set foot outside his chamber lying on the floor of the room strangely bedabbled with wet and mud as though he had come off a difficult journey speechless and with a look of anguish on his face and that he had died soon after they had found him muttering words that no one understood. Then the two young men drew near to the closed window. The shutters were tightly barred, and across the panels were scrawled in red in an uncertain hand the words, Cloudet et nemo aperit, which Mark explained was the Latin for the text, He shutteth and none openeth and then mark said that the story went that it was ill for the man that opened the window and that shut it should remain for him but roland girded at him for his want of curiosity and had laid a hand upon the bar as though to open it but mark forbade him urgently nay said he let it remain so we must not meddle with the will of the dead and, as he said the words, there came so furious a gust upon the windows that it seemed as though some stormy thing would beat them open. So they left the room together, and, presently descending, found the sun struggling through the rain. But both Mark and Roland were sad and silent all that day, for though they spake not of it, there was desire in their minds to open the closed window, and to see what would befall in roland's mind it was like the desire of a child to peep into what is forbidden but in mark's mind a sort of shame to be so bound by an old and weak tale of superstition now it seemed to mark for many days that the visit to the turret-room had brought a kind of shadow down between them roland was peevish and ill at ease and ever the longing grew upon mark so strongly that it seemed to him that something drew him to the room, some beckoning of a hand or calling of a voice. Now, one bright and sunshiny morning, it happened that Mark was left alone within the house. Roland had ridden out early, not saying where he was bound, and Mark sat, more listlessly than was his wont, and played with the ears of his great dog that sat with his head upon his master's knee, looking at him with liquid eyes, and doubtless wondering why Mark went not abroad. Suddenly Sir Mark's eye fell upon the key of the upper room, which lay on the window-ledge where he had thrown it, and a desire to go up and pluck the heart from the little mystery came upon him with a strength that he could not resist. He rose twice and took up the key, and, fingering it doubtfully, laid it down again. Then suddenly he took it up, and went swiftly into the turret-stair, and up, turning, turning till his head was dizzy with the bright peeps of the world through the loophole windows. Now all was green where a window gave on the down, and now it was all clear air and sun, the warm breeze coming pleasantly into the cold stairway. Presently Mark heard the pattering of feet on the stair below, and knew that the old hound had determined to follow him, and he waited a moment at the door, half pleased, in his strange mood, to have the company of a living thing, So when the dog was at his side, he stayed no longer, but opened the door and stepped within the room. The room, for all its faded look, had a strange air about it, and though he could not say why, Mark felt that he was surely expected. He did not hesitate, but walked to the shutter and considered it for a moment. He heard a sound behind him it was the old hound who sat with his head aloft sniffing the air uneasily mark called him and held out his hand but the hound would not move he wagged his tail as though to acknowledge that he was called and then he returned to his uneasy quest mark watched him for a moment and saw that the old dog had made up his mind that all was not well in the room for he lay down gathering his legs under him on the threshold and watched his master with frightened eyes quivering visibly Mark, no lighter of heart, and in a kind of fearful haste, pulled the great staple off the shutter and set it on the ground, and then wrenched the shutters back. The space revealed was largely filled by old and dusty webs of spiders, which Mark lightly tore down, using the staple of the shutters to do this. It was with a strange shock of surprise that he saw that the window was dark, or nearly so. It seemed as though there were some further obstacle outside, Yet Mark knew that from below the leaded panes of the window were visible. He drew back for a moment, but, unable to restrain his curiosity, wrenched the rusted casement open. But still all was dark without, and there came in a gust of icy wind from outside. It was as though something had passed him swiftly, and he heard the old hound utter a strangled howl, then turning, He saw him spring to his feet with his hair bristling and his teeth bare and next moment the dog turned and leapt out of the room mark left alone tried to curb a tide of horror that swept through his veins he looked round at the room flooded with the southerly sunlight and then he turned again to the dark window and putting a strong constraint upon himself leaned out and saw a thing which bewildered him so strangely that he thought for a moment his senses had deserted him. He looked out on a lonely, dim hillside, covered with rocks and stones. The hill came up close to the window, so that he could have jumped down upon it, the wall below seeming to be built into the rocks. It was all dark and silent, like a clouded night, with a faint light coming from whence he could not see the hill sloped away very steeply from the tower and he seemed to see a plain beyond where at the same time he knew that the down ought to lie in the plain there was a light like the fire-lit window of a house a little below him some shape like a crouching man seemed to run and slip among the stones as though suddenly surprised and seeking to escape side by side with the deadly fear which began to invade his heart came an uncontrollable desire to leap down among the rocks and then it seemed to him that the figure below stood upright and began to beckon him there came over him a sense that he was in deadly peril and like a man on the edge of a precipice who has just enough will left to try to escape he drew himself by main force away from the window closed it put the shutters back replaced the staple and, his limbs all trembling, crept out of the room, feeling along the walls like a palsied man. He locked the door, and then, his terror overpowering him, he fled down the turret stairs. Hardly thinking what he did, he came out on the court, and going to the great well that stood in the centre of the yard, he went to it and flung the key down, hearing it clink on the sides as it fell. Even then... He dared not re-enter the house, but glanced up and down, gazing about him, while the cloud of fear and horror, by insensible degrees, dispersed, leaving him weak and melancholy. Presently, Roland returned, full of talk, but broke off to ask if Mark were ill. Mark, with a kind of surliness, an unusual mood for him, denied it somewhat sharply. Roland raised his eyebrows and said no more but prattled on. Presently, after a silence, he said to Mark, What did you do all the morning? And it seemed to Mark as though this were accompanied by a spying look. An unreasonable anger seized him. What does it matter to you what I did? he said. May not I do what I like in my own house? Doubtless, said Roland, and sate silent with uplifted brows. Then he hummed a tune and presently went out. They sate at dinner that evening with long silences, contrary to their wont. though Mark bestirred himself to ask questions. When they were left alone, Mark stretched out his hand to Roland, saying, "'Roland, forgive me. I spoke to you this morning in a way of which I am ashamed. We have lived so long together, and yet we came nearer to quarrelling today than we have ever done before, and it was my fault.' Roland smiled and held Mark's hand for a moment. Oh, I had not given it another thought, he said. The wonder is that you can bear with an idle fellow as you do. Then they talked for a while with the pleasant glow of friendliness that two good comrades feel when they have been reconciled. But late in the evening, Roland said, Was there any story, Mark, about your grandfather's leaving any treasure of money behind him? The question grated somewhat unpleasantly upon mark's mood but he controlled himself and said no none that i know of except that he found the estate rich and left it poor and what he did with his revenues no one knows you had better ask the old men of the village they know more about the house than i do but roland forgive me once more if i say that i do not desire sir james's name to be mentioned between us i wish we had not entered his room I do not know how to express it, but it seems to me as though he had sate there, waiting quietly to be summoned, and as though we had troubled him, and as though he had joined us. I think he was an evil man, close and evil. And there hangs in my mind a verse of scripture where Samuel said to the witch, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Oh, he went on. I do not know why I talk wildly thus, for he saw that Roland was looking at him with astonishment, with parted lips, but a shadow has fallen upon me, and there seems evil abroad. From that day forward a heaviness lay on the spirit of Mark that could not be scattered. He felt, he said to himself, as though he had meddled light-heartedly with something far deeper and more dangerous than he had supposed— like a child that has aroused some evil beast that slept. He had dark dreams, too. The figure that he had seen among the rocks seemed to peep and beckon him with a mocking smile over perilous places where he followed unwilling. But the heavier he grew, the lighter-hearted Roland became. He seemed to walk in some bright vision of his own, intent upon a large and gracious design one day he came into the hall in the morning looking so radiant that mark asked him half enviously what he had to make him so glad glad said roland oh i know it merry dreams perhaps what do you think of a good grave fellow who beckons me on with a brisk smile and shows me places wonderful places under banks and in woodland pits where riches lie piled together i am sure that some good fortune is preparing for me mark but you shall share it. Then Mark, seeing in his words a certain likeness, with a difference, to his own dark visions, pressed his lips together, and sate looking stonily before him. At last, one still evening of spring, when the air was intolerably languid and heavy for mankind, but full of sweet promises for trees and hidden peeping things, though a lurid redness of secret thunder had lain all day among the heavy clouds in the plain the two dined together mark had walked alone that day and had lain upon the turf of the down fighting against a weariness that seemed to be poisoning the very springs of life within him but roland had been brisk and alert coming and going upon some secret and busy errand with a fragment of a song upon his lips like a man preparing to set off for a far country who is glad to be gone. In the evening, after they had dined, Roland had let his fancy rove in talk. If we were rich, he said, how we would transform this old place. It is fair enough for me, said Mark heavily, and Roland had chidden him lightly for his sombre ways and sketched new plans of life. Mark, wearied and yet excited with an intolerable heaviness of spirit went early to bed leaving roland in the hall after a short and broken sleep he awoke and lighting a candle read idly and gloomily to pass the heavy hours the house seemed full of strange noises that night once or twice came a scraping and a faint hammering in the wall light footsteps seemed to pass in the turret. But the tower was always full of noises, and Mark heeded them not. At last he fell asleep again, to be suddenly awakened by a strange and desolate crying that came he knew not whence, but seemed to wail upon the air. The old dog, who slept in Mark's room, heard it too. He was sitting up in a fearful expectancy, mark rose in haste and taking the candle went into the passage that led to roland's room it was empty but a light burned there and showed that the room had not been slept in full of a horrible fear mark returned and went in hot haste up the turret steps fear and anxiety struggling together in his mind when he reached the top, he found the little door broken forcibly open and a light within he cast a haggard look round the room and then the crying came again this time very faint and desolate. Mark cast a shuddering glance at the window. It was wide open and showed a horrible liquid blackness. Round the bar in the centre that divided the casements there was something knotted. He hastened to the window and saw that it was a rope which hung heavily. Leaning out, he saw that something dangled from the rope below him and then came the crying again out of the darkness like the crying of a lost spirit he could see as in a bitter dream the outline of the hateful hillside but there seemed to his disordered fancy to be a tumult of some kind below pale lights moved about and he saw a group of forms which scattered like a shoal of fish when he leaned out he knew that he was looking upon a scene that no mortal eye ought to behold and it seemed to him at the moment as though he were staring straight into hell. The rope went down among the rocks and disappeared, but Mark clenched it firmly and, using all his strength, which was great, drew it up hand over hand. As he drew it up, he secured it in loops round the great oak table. He began to be afraid that his strength would not hold out, and once, when he returned to the window after securing a loop, A great hooded thing like a bird flew noiselessly at the window and beat its wings. Presently he saw that the form which dangled on the rope was clear of the rocks below. It had come up through them as though they were but smoke, and then his task seemed to him more sore than ever. Inch by painful inch he drew it up, working fiercely and silently." His muscles were tense, and drops stood on his brow, and the veins hammered in his ears. His breath came and went in sharp sobs. At last the form was near enough for him to seize it. He grasped it by the middle and drew Roland, for it was Roland, over the window sill. His head dangled and drooped from side to side. His face was dark with strangled blood, and his limbs hung helpless. Mark drew his knife and cut the rope that was tied under his arms. The helpless limbs sank, huddling on the floor. Then Mark looked up. At the window a few feet from him was a face more horrible than he had supposed a human face, if it was human indeed, could be. It was deadly white and hatred, baffled rage and a sort of devilish malignity glared from the white-set eyes and the drawn mouth. There was a rush from behind him. The old hound, who had crept up unawares into the room, with a fierce outcry of rage, sprang onto the window sill. Mark heard the scraping of his claws upon the stone. Then the hound leapt through the window, and in a moment there was the sound of a heavy fall outside. At the same instant the darkness seemed to lift and draw up like a cloud. A bank of blackness rose past the window and left the dark outline of the down with a sky sown with tranquil stars. The cloud of fear and horror that hung over Mark lifted too. He felt in some dim way that his adversary was vanquished. He carried Roland down the stairs and laid him on his bed. He roused the household, who looked fearfully at him, and then his own strength failed. He sank upon the floor of his room, and a dark tide of unconsciousness closed over him. Mark's return to health was slow. One who has looked into the unknown finds it hard to believe again in the outward shows of life. His first conscious speech was to ask for his hound. They told him that the body of the dog had been found horribly mangled as though by the teeth of some fierce animal at the foot of the tower. The dog was buried in the garden with a slab above him on which are the words... Uege serve bone et fidelis. A silly priest once said to Mark that it was not meet to write scripture over the grave of a beast, but Mark said warily that an inscription was for those who read it, to make them humble, and not to increase the pride of what lay below. When Mark could leave his bed, his first care was to send for builders, and the old Tower of Nought was taken down, stone by stone, to the ground and a fair chapel built upon the site in the wall there was a secret stairway which led from the top chamber and came out among the elder bushes that grew below the tower and here was found a coffer of gold which paid for the church because until it was found it was mark's design to leave the place desolate mark is wedded since and has his children about his knee those who come to the house see a strange and wan man who sits at mark's board and whom he uses very tenderly sometimes this man is merry and tells a long tale of his being beckoned and led by a tall and handsome person smiling down a hillside to fetch gold though he can never remember the end of the matter but about the springtime he is silent or mutters to himself and this is roland his spirits seems shut up within him in some close cell and mark prays for his release But till God call him, he treats him like a dear brother, and with the reverence due to one who has looked out on the other side of death, and who may not say what his eyes beheld. End of The Closed Window Recording by Rafe Ball